joining. Um, thank you for those who are participating in every sense. We welcome you to share thoughts and feelings in the chat to the extent you would like to do that. That's a good way to communicate. Otherwise, you can be in mute for a little while. There are plenty of spaces um, and ought to be more spaces where we can continue to grieve and mourn um, the passing of Rabbi Micah Kaplan. Um, and also to celebrate, also to celebrate his life and, um, and, and his legacy. I know people are in very different stages. And on this call, our family members, our friends, our congregants, our rabbinic partners, um, colleagues. So there's a whole range of people, uh, of, of people here who are joining now and those who desperately want the recording after who have to be at work at this hour for those people who still, uh, still work. And so one of the testaments, as we've seen over the outpouring of love over the last uh, two months, has been um, that Rabbi Kaplan is someone who cared about the whole community. There are some people who just care about building their institution, and there's nothing wrong with that. Your job is your institution. And then there's those who care about building the whole community, and he was clearly that and touched people across the community. And so we're going to open up a little bit soulfully, a little bit soulfully and uh, introspectively before we get into some memories and Torah in his memory. And there's no one better to bring that soul spirit and that music than Brianna Kaplan, Rabbi Kaplan's daughter.
Thank you, Bree. What a beautiful legacy. If that was a, if it was only that Dainu that you continue to share music and Torah and, and Nagunim in your father's memory. Thank you. Um, Olam chesed yibaneh, Olam chesed yibaneh. The world is built through kindness. And um, that was my experience of uh, Reb Micah. In every fashion, I could give stories over and over. Uh, a, only a year or two, I, uh, a year or two ago, I shared with him I was having trouble raising funds, and he said, "Well, the partners should pay more, and I'll just start increasing my, I'll increase my dues now to demonstrate the precedent." That was a case of him just stepping up. Or I said, "Listen, there's a problem with the homeless down in Phoenix," and he said, "I'll join you whatever meeting we have to go," and he joined me. Or there was the Gaza bombing, the Gaza bombing that terrible summer a number of years ago, and I said. Um, uh, I'm going to organize something. He says, you tell me when I'll be there. He wanted to show up. He wanted to show up. It says over here in the Talmud of Sota 14a, uh, this famous uh, Talmudic passage, Rabbi Simlai taught the Torah begins with deeds of loving kindness and ends with deeds of loving kindness. Begins, it means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu dressed Adam and Chava, Adam and Chava, that they were naked in the Garden of Eden and God dressed them. And then it ends with Moshe Rabbeinu being buried. Nobody buries Moshe. God buries Moshe. And so it starts with the clothing of the naked and with the burial of the deceased. And that is the essence, friends. I mean, there's so much to Torah, there's so much to Judaism, but kindness is truly the essence. It goes on in Sota here in this next passage. Rav Chama said in the name of Rav what does it mean you shall walk after the Lord your God? What does it mean, that we should emulate God's ways? And if you go down just a few sentences, it means to walk after the attributes of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, to be like God. Just as God clothed the naked, so you too should clothe the naked. Just as HaKadosh Baruch Hu visits the ill, as it says over there with Avraham, so too you should visit the sick. Just as HaKadosh Baruch Hu comforts the bereaved, shows up at a funeral, shows up at a shiva, shows up at a memorial, so too you should comfort the bereaved. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu buries the dead, so too we should bury the dead. This idea that what it means to be godly, something he spoke about often, God is the verb, doing godly, to, to infuse this spirit into our life, to live a life of chesed, to show up for people. And what does it mean to show up? Here's, here's my last source, Midrash Tanchuma, here from Vayera. When God revealed God's self, HaKadosh Baruch Hu stood and Avraham sat, as it says, and he, he was sitting in the doorway. This is after his Brit Milah. It is the custom of the world that when a student is sick and the teacher goes to visit, other students go first to visit the sick. And they say there's a delegation of the teacher to the house of the patient, meaning that the teacher wishes to visit the student. But not so with the Kodesh Baruch when Avraham was circumcised and was in pain from the Brit Milah. God told the messengers to go and visit. But before they arrived, God came in first. As the Torah says, and God appeared to him. And after that, Avraham lifted his eyes and he saw three, three people. Is there no greater humble one than this? This idea that normally people send messengers, as Jonathan Safran Foyer writes about, the room servicing of life. If you could have someone else do something for you, you're going to hire them. Everyone else should do things for me. I'm going to relax. But you can't do that with ritual. You can't do that with kindness. You can't just send messengers. Right? You show up. You show up for people if you care about them. Micah was someone who showed up. He showed up for everyone here in, um, at, the, at funerals of family members, at shivas. He showed up at bar and bat mitzvahs and at weddings. He fully showed up. 
and he would want to show up first. He doesn't need to send a messenger. And so friends, I just want to offer us the bracha that we can continue to learn from this, this model of infusing chesed, love into our lives, infusing kindness into our lives, and understand that what it means to be engaged with God most certainly not first and foremost, is belief, believing in God. It means determining what God would do. What would an ideal divine being do in the world? And then trying to live that model, trying to live that model of kindness, of taking care of one another. Uh, AJ, if you go back to our lineup page, I'm just going to highlight that for a moment. Okay. So um, as you can see here, we have a number of rabbis here in the community and those who have been in the community who are going to share some memories and words of Torah as well over the course of our hour. And uh, next, we're going to hear from Rabbi Mark Bisman. What is a teacher's Torah that lives beyond that teacher's lifetime? Any teacher in any setting, whether secular or religious, soon discovers that we as teachers do not know which among the many words we speak or among the many ideas we try to communicate, which have significant impact on a given student. It is the student who decides. Only a student can report to a teacher which words or ideas entered his or her life. Rarely does a student know immediately whether or not what has just been learned will be vital to the future. Most of us don't always recognize which of the many lessons we have learned from this or that teacher, this or that professor or rabbi, which have actually impacted our lives. Often it is only when we reach an age when we can reflect on life, or after some life event when we are in the mood to reflect, then sometimes at such a moment it dawns on us, that is what my teacher was trying to tell me. Or till this moment, I never realized how much what I learned from this or that person has helped me through life. For those of us who have received over the years guidance or support from Rabbi Micah Kaplan, for those of us who have studied with him or who have heard a sermon he gave or read a message he wrote, when we remember the Torah that he taught us, Rabbi Kaplan's Torah lives on. His Torah lives on whenever we choose to remember it, or choose to live by it, or choose to teach it to another in his name, B'Shem Omro. For me, as a member of the community he taught weekly on Shabbat, Rabbi Kaplan reminded us that we had a job to do. Our job was to take the lesson from the week's Torah portion, a lesson that he highlighted for us, and make this world a better place. If there was if there were a troubling event in the news or a clear communal need, he reminded us that we had an obligation to respond morally and to take action. He urged us not to relax in the comfort of our lives, but rather to find our own way to reduce the pain in the world, to find one thing to do that would make a difference. Rabbi Kaplan saw it as his duty, as his Torah, to move his students, his congregation, and himself to act. Torah for Rabbi Micah Kaplan was not just a nice idea, but it was a call to action. As Rabbi Kaplan might phrase it, the godliness of the world asks us to discover our talents, to find the power in our hands, and to express the love in our hearts to repair the brokenness we witness in this world. In the great Jewish debate across the ages, 
as to which is more important, Talmud Torah study or Hamasa action. Rabbi Kaplan was likely impacted by the teaching of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, whose Torah is recorded in the ethics of our ancestors in Pirkei Avot, chapter one, Mishnah 17. There, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel teaches among the three recommendations, among his three recommendations for life, after silence and before avoiding too much talk, it is this, lo hamidrashu ha'ikar, ela hamaaseh. When we are silent enough to hear and can stop talking and can stop explaining what is asked of us, the central task is doing. Like the well-known expression, action speaks louder than words. But Rabbi Kaplan did not instruct us, this is the action you must do. Rather, he drew out the words of the Torah or from whatever text he was teaching, what he felt was the relevant or contemporary application of the lesson. And then he challenged us to find our own way to put his lesson, to put this lesson into action. Each of us is the repository of the Torah that Rabbi Kaplan taught each of us personally, how he helped us to find strength and courage when it was needed, and how he inspired us to take action because of the Torah he taught us. Many years ago, when Rabbi Kaplan was 13, I was his rabbi. Finding his bar mitzvah speech in my files, I discovered his thoughts as a young man. In this time of pandemic, and for those of us who miss his rabbinic leadership, his words as a young man might still speak to us. At 13, Micah taught, courage is going on and not giving up. As many of you know, this has been a difficult year for me and my family. During this year, I think I have learned what the meaning of courage is all about. Courage is when a person continues on, especially when they feel like giving up. And when a person can find the courage, they can continue on in life with strength. And by continuing on, they transform pain into growth. Rabbi Micah Kaplan has left us too soon, but he has left us his Torah. May we keep his Torah alive by living its, by its guidance and by teaching the Torah we learn from him in his name. Zechar Tzadik Vibracha. Amen, amen. Wow, wow. Thank you, Rabbi Bisman. Thank you. The Torah of courage I'm holding so close. Rabbi Nate Crane, welcome back to Scottsdale. Thank you, Rav Shmuley. Thank you. I feel like zooming in on this program in honor of Rabbi Micah Kaplan is a very Micah way to be in attendance. Because after all, how many important conversations and teachings and preparations happened in Rabbi Kaplan's car? It's because he always wanted to be there and everywhere. So I'm, I'm here stopping to honor a friend and a Rav on the way to a life cycle event, which I feel like is another piece of Rabbi Kaplan's story. There's a story told in the Talmud and Brachot about the death of Rav, who is one of the most brilliant and prolific of all of the sages. His students, they lay him to rest and they grieve him deeply. And then they return to life. But before much time passes, the students have a question that only Rav could answer. And so once again, they feel the sting, the ache of his death. And his absence tears at their hearts and they tear again, they tear their clothing. 
that aching, that loss, it resurfaces endlessly. And that's because we still had so much more to learn from Rabbi Kaplan. He wasn't nearly done teaching. And that ache is a testament to the ways in which Micah's soul reverberates throughout the world. He remains eternal. For all of us, his loss is irreplaceable. Yet memories and dreams remain. They guide us and comfort us. Mike, Micah's Rav, Rabbi Harold Kushner, wrote a book that Micah quoted often, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And what he would point out often was that the book's title is not why bad things happen to good people, but when bad things happen to good people. Because things go wrong so often in life and unfortunate, terrible things just like this. We never expect them to this magnitude, but therein lies this question, which is, how do we respond? How do we deal with it? How do we grow from it? Do we lie down and give up hope and love for living? If that were true, then, then the world would have taken numerous souls, not only Micah's. So instead, our task is to find meaning in the life and hope for Micah's soul, to preserve his memory is in no small measure a way of keeping Rabbi Kaplan alive. So we and our lives and how they were touched by Micah are a measure of his immortality. As we know, he was a passionate Zionist. After all, the policy was second day of Rosh Hashanah's sermon was always about Israel. And that passion for the state of Israel that inspired so many within the community and, of course, his children. That connection to the Jewish homeland. And so I thought it fitting to share the words of the Israeli folk hero, Chana Senesh, the very famous poem that Micah read often. There are stars whose radiance is visible on earth, though they have, not, though they have long been extinct. There are people whose brilliance continues to light the world even though they are no longer among the living. These lights are particularly bright when the night is dark. They light the way for humankind. Right now in our world, it feels as though the night is at its darkness and we can look toward Micah's visible radiance, which continues to light the entire world. And that brilliance can light the way for all of us. May Micah's memory be an eternal blessing for family and friends and community and the entire world. May his spirit shine forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Reb Nate. Thank you so much. We're going to hear some Torah from Rabbi Alana Cantor. Okay. Um, I want to first share a quick example, um, which is when, when I was starting the Women's Leadership Institute about six years ago, I wrote to all 
the heads of agencies and rabbis and cantors and everyone who I could think of to ask people um, to suggest names of one young women for who might benefit from the program. Um, and my colleagues, God bless them, um, across the community um, were extremely generous and we ended up with a full group of young women. But the very first name that was suggested, the very first response that I received to my request was from Micah. And um, I think like others, he appreciated how wonderful it is when just to receive a response to a request. Or maybe he had Rahmanis on us um, knowing that it's hard to start something from nothing. But when I thought about this small but very significant act of collegial kindness, the words that came to mind were from a, a famous midrash from the Babylonian Talmud, Masachet Ta'anit 23a. Um, and I won't tell you the whole midrash, but it ends with the words, O Chavruta, O Mituta, which literally means friends or death. But I think what it's trying to teach is that having friends or colleagues or loved ones is what makes life worth living. Knowing that you are part of a larger context of colleagues or community or family in which you play a small but significant role is what gives meaning to our lives. And validating the role of others as part of a larger context is the way we grow stronger as a collective. It's a privilege to pay tribute to the memory of someone who taught that through his deeds. Yehi zichro baruch, may his memory be for a blessing. Beautiful, thank you. Thank you so much, Rabbi Cantor. Rabbi Steve Kahn. Thank you, Rabbi, for inviting me and my, uh, the preceding speakers for speaking so beautifully. You know, my primary relationship, I think my primary relationship with uh, Rabbi Kaplan was through Brianna, because Brianna and my son Ethan <clears throat> were at Pardes together. So most of our conversations and our coffees and our lunches were focused on um, our kids. And I know that Micah made himself above and beyond accessible to the congregation, but I think Brianna and Julia and Avi know that his primary relationship and his primary concern um, was them. And so I would get texts from Micah about who was the car instructor, driving instructor that you use for Ethan because Brianna's getting ready to drive and I want to use the same guy or where's Ethan applying to college? Brianna's in that. We would always have really friendly banter and I think it's an hopefully more of a tribute to Brianna and Ethan that they brought us uh, closer over these last few years. And Julia and Avi, his love for you was abundant. And uh, Tina, there's, there's no words that any of us can say to, I wish there was a healing balm for the soul that we could give you and all of his family. But I, I wanted to focus on this. I don't have a piece of Torah to teach. So there are these seven deadly sins, but we're Jewish, we don't have to worry about them. So I can in public state that uh, envy was one of the things that I felt uh, for Rabbi Kaplan. Uh, my envy wasn't negative and it wasn't angry. Um, it was real. Um, 
when there are three things that I keep thinking about. One, Rabbi Yankelwood spoke about, uh, Micah showed up to everything. Um, if there was a way for him to show up to my kids' B'nai Mitzvah because he wasn't leading Shabbat services at Ortzion, he would have shown up, even if it was just for a few minutes. The way that he showed up to our Board of Rabbis meetings, the way that he participated. One of my favorite things to do was to try to sit next to Micah during a Board of Rabbis meeting or at a community event. He was really easy to make him laugh. Um, and I enjoyed cracking him up in a public setting. And I'm sure many of you have that experience. I envied how kind he was. Um, most of us, whether we admit it or not, are protective of our vulnerabilities, of our hearts. His heart was on his sleeve all day, every day. And I really respected that. He would certainly, like anyone, say he was okay, even if he wasn't. But the kindness, the compassion, the heart that he showed was something that um, I've been thinking a lot about. And one more thing was the kind of people, as you all remember, when, when Micah got here, um, I'll be honest, it was, it was an interesting time. There were a lot of uh, outstanding unaffiliated Jews who went straight to Ortzion. And uh, I'm not totally insecure by nature, but it definitely made me think. He attracted some of the most outstanding Jews in our community to Ortzion. They flocked to Ortzion because of Rabbi Kaplan, because of his leadership, because of his sincerity, because of his accessibility, but again, mostly because of his heart. And I, really was so, so, so proud of the work that he did in that community. And the quality of people who are at Ortzion is a testament forever to Rabbi Kaplan. And finally, I'm gonna miss his hugs. He's a great hugger. He was taller than me, so it was a little awkward at time. I'm not used to reaching up to hug someone, but he was a great hugger. And I miss his hugs so, so, so much. So to his family and to his community and to his friends, and especially, I just, I have to, not because I'm the president of the Board of Rabbis, but I just think to my colleagues, um, Dana Rubenstein and, and to Zari, I, I don't know how you're doing it, but you're doing it beautifully and with integrity and with grace. And I cannot imagine what these last few months have been like for you. But that again is a testimony to Rabbi Kaplan, not just your boss, but your partner. So thank you all very much. Zecher Tzadik Livracha. May the memory of this very righteous, present, loving, kind, soulful, gentle man be a blessing for all of us. And may we maybe turn his acts of kindness and love. Um, let's pay them forward for my God. Thank you, Rabbi. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Rabbi Khan. Uh, my old friend from Princeton, New Jersey, Rabbi Ira Dunn. Thank you, Rabbi Shmuley. <clears throat> Thank you, everybody. I believe that every person is unique and beautifully different. Indeed, the Midrash says that when a coins are made, the image on them is all the same. But human beings were all created in the image of God, but none of us, none of us are the same. Indeed, there is no other you that has ever existed or will ever exist. It's one of the ways we learn that, about the dignity of difference, that being different is the ideal. 
and that every person in their remarkable and beautiful difference has a unique gift to give to the world. Indeed, the story goes about Reb Zusha who was on his deathbed. He had so many of his loving students around him and then he started to cry and his students were surprised and they said, why are you crying, Reb Zusha, they asked. Surely you've lived a life full of Torah and mitzvot of extraordinary learning and action. When you get to the next world, you'll be compared to the likes of Abraham, our father, or Moses, our teacher. And Reb Zusha looked at his students and replied, my dear students, when I get to the next world, I am not worried that they'll compare me to Abraham, our father, who left his father's house to go to the promised land, who was the first monotheist, who nearly sacrificed his son. No, I'm not worried, they'll say, why were you, more not, why were you not more like Abraham? I'm not worried, they'll ask me why I wasn't more like Moses, who saw the burning bush, who stood up to Pharaoh, say, let my people go, who split the sea, who went to Mount Sinai, who brought to the people to the edge of the promised lands. I'm not afraid they're going to ask me why I wasn't more like Moses. I'm afraid, my dear students, that they'll ask me, why weren't you more like Reb Susha? Then what will I say? Reb Micah Kaplan was so deeply like Reb Micah Kaplan. We've heard really beautiful things about him in this tribute. And I'm grateful to Rabbi Shmuley and for organizing and for everyone sharing their very beautiful remarks. Um, like Rabbi Khan, my, my connection to Reb Micah is not direct. It is through his daughter, Brianna, who I met at BBYO many years ago and have remained very close to ever since. And it's through this connection that I've seen one of the things that made Reb Micah so Reb Micah his unwavering love of his family and especially his children. I think it's fair to say that he was obsessed with them in the most positive sense, that they were his world and he got such unbelievable joy from them. And if you wanted some proof, I have some email correspondences to show you some proof. After he and his son Avi got into a small car accident, he shared with me the sentiment. I guess Bree told you that Avi and I got into a bit of an accident not too long ago. I'm not sure if she told you this part, but she drove all the way through the night to Arizona after it happened. Seriously, what a gift she is. And after my, my wife and I had our son, he, he said to me, welcome to fatherhood. It is the best thing you will ever do, hands down. It never stops giving. And after I saw Bree in Los Angeles during a Thanksgiving break a couple of years ago, we sent a selfie to Reb Micah. And he responded, look at you guys. I love these pictures. Bree nearly started to cry when she saw me today. Well, okay, maybe it was the other way around. I don't know if you can see it or it's just me because I'm her father, but watching her turn into a real adult is kind of freaky, but also sort of the best thing ever. She's changed and grown so much during just these past few months, and soon enough we'll be ordaining her as a rabbi too. So let's not rush things. And one of our final correspondences, he wrote to me, I'm sure you know now what a gift it is to be a father. I want to be around for my kids for a very long time. One of the things that made Reb Micah Reb Micah was his role as a father. Indeed, Bree had such an extraordinary relationship with her father. They were so close. They'd speak so often. They shared many cherished experiences and memories. They shared their love of Jewish music and Judaism in general. She was so protective of him. She took excellent care of him. She aspired and continues to aspire to follow in his footsteps, to become an inspiring rabbi. And when I think about who Reb Micah was and what made him uniquely Reb Micah, I think about the deep relationships he cultivated. Like many said, that he'd go above and beyond for just about anyone, and especially his children. As Bree alluded to in her eulogy, Reb Micah gave a piece of his heart 
to so many people. It's what made his heart so beautiful and made him such an extraordinary person who we miss so deeply. I can only imagine that when they asked him in Olam Haba, the next world, like they asked Reb Zusha in the story, why weren't you more like Reb Micah? He could look at them and reply that he was so amazingly like Reb Micah in all the most positive and beautiful ways. And all of us are so grateful for that. May his memory be a blessing and may Brianna, Julia, and Avi, and the entire family be comforted among the mortars of Zion in Jerusalem. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Javier. Rabbi John Linder. Yeah, honored to be with this wonderful community. And uh, Rav Shmuley, you, beginning with Olam Chesed Yibane, the world sustained by loving kindness, that is um, that is Micah. And I just wanted to relay the first time I met Mike, actually, I think the first time I met him was at a board of rabbis meeting. And uh, Rabbi Mari Chernow and I had a, uh, a, a Beit Din and looking for a third. And we both uh, um, just thought the same thing. Let's ask Micah to join us on the Beit Din. And he immediately um, said yes. And, uh, and here's what I remember about uh, that Beit Dean uh, and will um, always ring true of who uh, Rav Micah was in his heart. Uh, first of all, he loved being uh, with two colleagues he had never met before, uh, loved being asked to be a part of the Beit Dean. And I just remember how gentle he was with the, with the gear with the student that he did not know before and went out of his way to uh, affirm uh, the journey of this woman. Uh, at the same time, uh, his integrity, sitting on a bait dean, uh, to treat that with the sacredness that it is. And he did both of those things in the most beautiful way and could just see his heart shining brightly and how excited he was um, to bring a new Jew into the world. Uh, and I think that was um, part of Micah as well. And, um, and yeah, he showed up. I remember him telling me how much pride he had in the engagement with uh, Habitat for Humanity, uh, engaging Ortzion and members of Ortzion uh, in building homes. And for Micah, uh, it was, uh, of course, uh, building a home for uh, another human being uh, and their family created in God's image. Micah saw everyone that way. Uh, but it was really, I think, engaging members of Ortzion in the mitzvah of helping other people, that too was just at his core. And, um, and finally, uh, Rabbi Khan, you talk about the, uh, the hugs. Um, I just loved, um, when I saw Micah, uh, just the two of us approaching one another and being engulfed, uh, engulfed in his, uh, his arms spread out. And, um, and just engulfed in, yes, um, his physical body, 
but it was just engulfed in his love, his deep, deep love. And when I knew um, Rob Shmuley that I was going to be joining uh, this gathering today to honor and remember Micah, um, there was only one tie that I was going to take out of uh, my closet. And uh, uh, um, because this is Micah, uh, that the dove and the uh, and, and that olive branch um, was how he lived every day, bringing peace and hope into the world. And, um, and I'll carry that spirit in my heart. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Rabbi Linder. We're going to hear from Rabbi Aviva Funky. I think you're muted. Nope, not yet. Can't hear you. Sure. Let's give it a second. Or should we come back to you? Are you having a tech problem? Let's give it a second. Nothing yet. Okay, we're going to come back to you, okay? I can, I can oh, use there a you are. Yay, you're here. I'll you're use here. a different microphone. Nope, there you are. Great. Okay. Um, I want to thank you for having me, and I'm so grateful to have a chance to continue to reflect on um, someone who is gadol. He was Gadol for all of us, and he was Gadol for me. Um, I've actually known Micah my entire life, and my connection to him was actually his father. His father was my cantor when I was a young girl, and um, I didn't know that he had a strained relationship with his father. Um, I was so innocent and young um, in my time of knowing his father, um, and so growing up and getting to have a relationship with Micah as a young adult, um, we got to heal through that together. And I'll never forget walking into his office and he actually had a painting of his dad in his office. Um, and he candidly was said, you know, Aviva, I still have a hard time um, healing relationship issues with my dad. And we sat down and we talked about it and we looked at what is it like to be innocent? What is it like to love innocently? And can we remove any labels or missteps that we make in our lives um, from, from just clouding up our ability to love fully? Um, and he, he wanted to do that. And I got to see him through that. Um, he called me his sister, which for me was always just the best blessing in my life to be called his sister, his holy sister. And... I really didn't have any inclination of being a rabbi in my life until I saw him speak. And I remember coming back home and going to shul with my parents, as I would love to do whenever I would visit. And I saw him speak for the first time. And the thing that I want to just illuminate was Micah's passion. The way that he was able to give a drash, a dvar Torah, reached into the depths of every single soul in that room and pulled a part of ourselves out and made us look at it and go, oh my gosh, I can change that. I can do something more in my life. I can reach out to somebody. I could do something to shift myself. Micah was able to bring Torah alive. And I, I just remember feeling like he's helped me figure out who I am and who I want to be in this world. So while I went to rabbinical school, I called him 
all the time. I said, I need a Rashi. I need a piece of text. I need something. Can you just give me a little something? So I, I feel like so many of my papers throughout rabbinical school actually have little Micah-isms throughout them because he was the one that was helping to cheer me on. But then there was a piece of text that we got to learn together. And it was from um, going to visiting him. And we sat him and learned Ein Kelohenu which is this wonderful poem that we sing towards the end of our services, um, often on Shabbat morning. And there's the line, Atahu shaktiru avotenu lefanecha tasamim. And you are he to our ancestors that offered fragrant incense. You offer, we offer our incense to you, God. And this really was a confusing line because here we are talking about how great God is and then we are offering our incense to you. What is this about? And he brought two things to the table in that lesson that day. The first thing is that the reason we would have had incense is because we did animal sacrifice and that the space in the temple smelt terrible. And so how do you offer anything of a true sacrifice to God when it is ugly and decay? Our job in the world is to bring the incense, is to make our true work in the world beautiful. Our true work is ugly and dark and can be very messy. And Micah reminded us in that day that our incense is how we bring beauty into the world. And then he turned to us and he says, what's your incense that you're bringing into the world? Well, I was able to offer him two. One, I had a bag of incense in my tallest bag, just happened to have it. I gave it to him. It ended up being what held him over when his brother died. So he had the incense that had carried me once and I got to carry him. And the second one was the incense that we shared together, which was breaking tefillah down. We can't just go through the process of being wrote about it, but we need to actually grapple with it so that it becomes meaningful. And in my last moment, I wanna share just a little song a little piece of text that we got to share and I got to offer to him at his, at his Shiva Binyan. Which means, Holy One, bless us in our goings and our comings. For our life and for peace. We pray that Micah, who came here, now as he returns back to the infinite source, is in peace always and that his memory is in peace. So I offer this for just a brief moment for us. From right now, from right now, from right now, May we all find the sweetness in the memories of Micah and bring our, ancest our, inc our incense of true Torah to the world.
Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Rabbi Avivah Funky. Thank you so much. Rabbi William Berman, welcome. Thank you. This will only take a couple of minutes, but uh, the truth is I could speak a couple of hours and I'm sure that applies to many of you. My wife, Pat, and I find it impossible to wrap our minds around the fact that Rabbi Micah Kaplan is no longer among the living. We met him 10 years ago when our daughter Melissa became cantor of congregation or Chadash. He was larger than life, brimming with idealism and bursting with enthusiasm. In short order, we realized that the source of Micah's remarkable energy was none other than his own amazing neshama. He was an astonishingly dedicated, <clears throat> dedicated pastor. Micah was there for anyone at any place at any time. In this week's Torah portion, Kitetse, we are enjoined not to turn away from extending aid to one who is in crisis. This applies even in such cases where helping entails great effort and inconvenience. In commanding this, instead of using the expected biblical syntax, help, don't look away, scripture puts it this way, lo you will not be able to look away. To me, this means your conscience should prevail upon you to dismiss excuses for inaction, even if such excuses seem compelling. Micah Kaplan's life embodied this Torah injunction. He could not look away. No matter the demands on his time, he was always there. No matter the nature of the crisis, he was always present, listening, calming, encouraging, soothing pain, and raising spirits. He was chesed personified. Vaida avdin velo mishtakhin. Woe to those lost to us, but never forgotten. Woe to us, for we have lost him bidimeyamav. We have lost him in the prime of life. But all who knew him realized that they themselves have become better people for having known him. They will never forget Harav Mordechai Leib Ben HaChazan Baruch Meir HaKohen Yeshena Golda. Kizohar Harakia Mazhir Nishmato. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rabbi Berman. Are the last two parts of our program, um, and it's pretty amazing with over 10 rabbis that we stuck to time exactly, are going to be um, a video that many of you have seen, probably all of you have seen, that Reb Micah made the morning before he passed. Um, a just two, three-minute clip uh, of just a message he was sharing with the community. And to be touched by the, the gentleness and the robust forcefulness of, 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 the, of the Torah of that morning. 
that we can continue to learn from. And then closing again with his uh, daughter, Brianna Kaplan's uh, closing musical tribute. And I just want to say, we've all heard that Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel famously said, when I was young, I was most impressed with smart people. And as I got older, I was more impressed with people who are kind. And I think that um, this is something that he understood much earlier, that uh, you walk into the synagogue, it's a place of access, it's access. It's not about deep academic rigor in terms of what the learning is gonna be, that anyone who walks in should be able to access. It should be a place of kindness that everyone feels welcome. If someone asks me what are the top five challenges in the Jewish world, here's one of the ones I would say. We have some Jews who are so universalistic that they find it yucky to love a fellow Jew. It's almost yucky. It's like tribalistic to love a Jew. I just love humanity. And there's other Jews who can only love Jews. The idea of loving a Gentile takes away from my love for being Jews. Michael was someone who had Ahavat Olam for Koyosh Veitevel. He loved humanity. And he was someone with Avat Yisrael, deep Avat Yisrael, love of fellow Jews, and understood uh, we don't need to be selective, that we can, um, our love can pour forth, our concern can pour, can pour forth. And so as a closing remarks, before, before we hear of Micah's own words and his daughter Brianna's melodies, just want to, on behalf of our community here, both the, his congregants, his friends, fellow rabbis here in the community, that um, we continue to keep his memory alive, not only through sharing stories and building this Phoenix, Scottsdale, broader Arizona community together, Jewish world, but also that we continue to walk in God's path, humbly, courageously, with kindness. Welcome again to an afternoon conversation with Rabbi Kaplan. Our rabbis teach us, You and I can change the world. The rabbis go further on to say, They said before us that we didn't have the ability to change. Well, in fact, we do. We do have the opportunity to change the world. In the adversity that we're living in, in the challenging times that we have currently in our lives, we must change. We do have the ability to make the world a better one in doing tikkun olam. I came across this powerful quote from Leslie Dwight. I'd like to share it because I think it speaks volumes about the changes that we can make, that we should make, living in 2020. Her text reads as follows. What if 2020 isn't canceled? What if 2020 is the year that we have been waiting for? A year so uncomfortable, a year so painful, so scary, so raw that it finally forces us to grow. A year that screams so loud, finally awakening us from our ignorant slumber. A year we finally accept the need for change. A year to declare change, to work for change, to become the change. A year we finally band together instead of pushing each other further and further apart. 2020 isn't canceled, but rather the most important year of them all. Again from Leslie Dwight, let's remind ourselves, you and I can fix the world. Let's start today and not wait until tomorrow. Shalom. Okay, Brianna. Pan 
Blessings to everyone for a great day. Much love, much comfort. Let's just end with uh, 30 seconds of silence together. May his blessing be in memory. May his memory be for blessing.